0: What happens when you have all your ducks lined up and the universe throws your curveball. That's the moment when you have to regroup, reflect deeply on what you want the new path that is opening up to you to look like, and trace a game plan that will allow you to come out winning. Drew Slack was well on his way towards a life in the professoriate when his curveball arrived. In today's episode, we we'll learn about the principles, the resources, and the values that were key in building the career he has carved out for himself today.
1: Postdoctoral work is just is the most uh, physically and emotionally challenging, uh, I think, environment, and uh, you know I think that's that's where most people really find themselves uh, the most explicitly tested. You know, it's it's, it's a real walk of faith uh, to. Uh, to, to do that, so I, I say that's that's one thing is that, that you really learn to trust and rely on yourself, uh, and uh, without question, that's where that's where you develop your your strongest uh, work ethic and and determination.
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendes, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. If you have a question or a theme that you'd like to see covered in our interviews, you can now simply go to anchor.fm forward slash PapaPhD and record a message to be featured in one of our future episodes. And be sure to follow PapaPhD on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. So, this week, we're talking with Drew Slack. Drew is an experienced medical affairs director with accomplished career history in the biotechnology and health regulatory sectors. He's skilled in oncology, molecular biology, biotechnology, management, and clinical research, and has postdoctoral experience in translational and clinical oncology research, with a PhD focused in molecular pharmacology and oncology from McGill University. Welcome to Papa PhD, Drew.
1: Thanks, David. I'm really pleased that you invited me to take part.
0: It's my pleasure. So... Tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, starting at your PhD, and, uh, and um, what path you followed from your PhD to what you do today.
1: Sure. sure. So I kind of acquired a fascination for, uh, for molecular biology and research uh, uh, in the course of doing an honors project uh, at, during my undergrad at Queen's University. I went from there to um, Department of Molecular Pharmacology at McGill. Uh, where um, I, I worked uh, in uh, oncogenic signaling and um, uh, in uh, molecular biology, uh, with a with a focus in, in molecular pharmacology and developing uh, clinical or, or developing um, lead small lead compounds, small molecule lead compounds, uh, and it was a yeah, very uh, very high energy uh, group uh, in our in that PhD setting. Um, a large lab very very busy and collaborative lab and uh, very very obstructive uh, PhD experience not without uh, a lot of uh, challenges uh, but uh, a very um, a remarkable learning environment and uh, it set me up well for uh, uh, postdoctoral uh, work that I did subsequently at Baylor College of Medicine so I went on there to uh, to do my postdoctoral work in Houston uh, with a um, uh, Baylor-affiliated uh, clinical research lab at uh, Texas Children's Cancer Center. And uh, did uh, several years of postdoctoral experience uh, there uh, before kind of uh, figuring out what uh, what my next
0: move was. Mm-hmm. And what were the following steps after your postdoc?
1: So I think like a lot of scientists who end up raising families and confronting some of the challenges of of Progressing a career in uh, in research, I kind of uh, kind of hit that point uh, where where I started to think about work life balance and what were the rewards for me personally versus the rewards that I could offer to to my family, and uh, it started me thinking a little bit about alternative uh, pathways. At the same time, uh, an award mechanism that I was seeking uh, via the NIH. Um, I had, uh, had kind of come to a close, and it really was sort of the, the end of a chapter for me in a sense in that uh, the, the most viable pathway that I could have taken to independence as a, as a principal investigator had sort of been very abruptly shut down for me. I kind of leaned on a, on a network of uh, a PhD and postdoc colleagues and uh, ended up settling on um, returning home to be closer to family, that's Ottawa for me, and uh, that led me to uh, a career in, uh, in regulatory and uh, yeah so that uh, after kind of a you know a long roundabout search i decided that that was maybe the best place uh, for me in, in terms of leveraging my skills and uh, doing the best i could to look after my son uh, was uh, was in uh, in regulatory
0: okay so in the cro
1: uh no in uh, actually working for health canada initially uh, in, uh, in a post-market surveillance unit, in a, in a marketed health products, pharmacovigilance uh, unit, and then later on in uh, pre-market uh, clinical drug review capacity.
0: Mm-hmm. This, this is already interesting because I, I, I surmise that from what you're saying that you did well in, during your PhD. So you said it was high energy, but you, you, you seem to have had you know, good results and, and good, a good outcome, which drove you towards your postdoc.
1: Yeah, I, I I never doubted that uh, you know in the, in those early days that I wanted uh, to to be a PI and that I wanted to have my own lab um, absolutely um, uh, research driven uh, and uh, you know absolutely focused on on discovery and uh, saw that the you know academic laboratory setting was the only one for me uh, early going and that you know that that kind of outlook uh, really. Uh, drove me to be honest without thinking a great deal about it in the postdoctoral realm uh i think it's you know it's it's later on as uh you know as other priorities start to take hold that uh you start to you start to really question more right and i think for me that the real stimulus was family
0: yeah i think it's reality for for a lot of people out there you get to to that age you you find a partner and and you start uh you start setting up uh, a family and then you know priorities change and um, you know, your, your, ease of, uh, the, the, your ease of moving to another country to do another postdoc is not the same. So I, I guess that that's probably something that, that, uh, that weighed in there for you. But when this NIH uh, grant or, or, or fellowship, I don't know exactly what the term is, didn't come through, can you tell us a little bit about how that affected you? Did you already have your, your son at that time?
1: I did, yeah. He was very young at that time, and uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, in that incredibly busy phase of, uh, of postdoctoral training, where you're um, you're supervising uh, other uh, clinical fellows in some cases, uh, supervising the activities of a technician. You're trying to publish your work. Uh, you're you're at the bench constantly and collecting time points for experiments. Uh, and uh, developing relationships and maintaining relationships with collaborators, um, and uh, and then at this, you know, then you have this other full time job where you're trying to compete uh, aggressively for uh, for an award that will that will help you establish yourself as an independent uh, investigator. And uh, as you know, the, there's those types of uh, award mechanisms require usually several attempts and uh, just prior to to my third attempt with positive feedback uh, from from reviewers, uh, they abruptly announced that the the mechanism was cancelled so so it's a, it's a real uh you know it's a real brush back you know when uh, when you get news like that um, you know I can still remember where I was you know when that announcement was made uh, so so then it's the question then becomes so you know are you going to Go back to private foundations are you going to uh, continue to rely on on a mentor for for funding and continue to you know operate uh, in in that context of of uh, postdoctoral salary constraints
0: yeah yeah uh, another guest uh, talked talked to me about the k99 is this the the same
1: I think in the same family. This
0: one was called K01. K01. Okay. So it's in the same family of things. Yeah. So it, so you say you remember when it happened, so it must have been quite a shock. What I'd, like, what I'd like to share, or what I usually like to share with the audience is to give them tools to deal with these things that happen to anyone and to everyone. How did you deal with this? Do you remember first as a physical shock almost, right? You, you, you must have felt a, a pit in your stomach.
1: <laughs> you bet. <laughs>
0: How are the next steps? Do, you know, because you said you already had your your child, so now something must have changed inside you to say, "Okay, I'm done. Uh, I'm done. I'm done trying this path."
1: Yeah, you know, I think we all have setbacks, right, in our careers, and uh, you know you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't get through the first month in graduate school if if you couldn't negotiate some of those. Everybody's been there uh, I, I think it's the cumulative effect, right and I think this was like I said for me, it almost felt like you know a, a close of a chapter it's like okay this uh, this this lifestyle is uh, is not working well for me and my family so much now uh, and you know the 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 next step in in the progression towards uh, you know towards a, a, a an improvement of, of that lifestyle was was sort of pulled out from under me. And so I think that was that was it really. It was just uh, okay. Now now the universe may be trying to speak to me. Uh, time to listen. And uh, so, so it wasn't so much uh, I, I need to I need to walk away or, or give up on this path, but I, I need to I need to take the blinders off and and explore some some alternatives. Which frankly I I just hadn't I just hadn't done.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, you were super busy with all the other stuff that you needed to do for for your day to day. Yeah. Yeah,
1: like uh, you know, like like so many people in that postdoc world, you know, there's uh, there's very little time to to contemplate, uh, you know, a, a completely different path when 23 of 24 hours uh, are committed to the, you know, to these goals.
0: And so, how did you then establish a game plan for for what was coming next? Like, which was because, like you're saying, you hadn't given it a minute of thought until that moment. What were the next steps? into building this transition, into finding what your interests were, maybe into reaching out to people that might, uh, that might give you some pointers?
1: Yeah, it was uh, the, the priority for me at that point then was, was to go home and really uh, you know, come back to Canada and to, uh, to be closer to family. And, it, you know, it's, it's sort of realizing, again, family it's, you know, sort of comes up in this that uh, I wanted, I wanted a, a closer relationship with my son and, and his extended family. Uh, and so you know that that kind of led me to to ottawa and uh the you know the, it was sort of very evident early on that that was sort of the very the best uh career path for me given given my skill set as a scientist uh, as a life scientist in in the ottawa area was was to was to look at regulatory but uh you know fortunately i had i had friends from from graduate school days who had who had gone in that direction early on, and so I had a, a sort of a, uh, you know, a built-in uh, network of three or four people who had uh, moved into different areas of, uh, of regulatory that could uh, help inform me and help identify a, a place for me in uh, in Health Canada.
0: Excellent. So, so these these uh, friends, uh, so this this network uh, that was ready for you uh, at that point that came from grad school. Were there ways, particular ways in which they helped you? Did, did they help you uh, actually uh, find the position? Did they help you prepare to interview? You know, how, how did that go? Because you've been on the academic track for all those years and now you're going to have to go to this government body and uh, present yourself as a as a candidate uh, for, for a position that, you know, now you know about, you've learned about it, but it's new to you in a way. And then you're gonna have a learning curve after that, right? How did you navigate that? How and how did these 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 mentors or these you know these people that you that you knew? How did they help you get ready for the, for that part?
1: Yeah, I have to give a, a, you know a tremendous credit to you know to my uh, to my colleagues and those those who mentored me. They uh, they really um, uh, supported uh, you know all kinds of uh phone discussions coffee shop discussions because it's true i knew nothing uh about that world you know uh that that was so far removed from the uh, translational research environment that i had been been uh, inhabiting for so long uh this was uh, and and regulatory is also a you know a world that that's quite opaque for most people what goes on uh, inside that that uh is uh, you know it's not to, not the subject of m- lots of international conferences that people attend. So, so I really did, I, I made uh, extensive use of, of my network and one friend in particular who was, uh, uh, tremendously supportive of me, uh, coached me through the entire process up to the point of, uh, in fact, uh, um, creating an avenue for me to, uh, to get an interview so that, uh, you know, and that's a critical first step in, uh, in, in that, in that context where a lot of the positions aren't, um, you know, it's it's not evident how you would identify a position in that setting.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, you don't work in regulatory anymore. But uh, I've known people who were interested in in that domain. I know people who are in that domain, but but uh, not not in the governmental aspect of it. Do you have you know what what was what were the key things that, that in this coaching that you had that helped you uh, land that position and that people out there listening that might be interested? What should they focus on to to you know, show uh, an employer like that that they're the 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 right candidate for the position.
1: Yeah, I think having um you know having a real understanding uh, or developing a real understanding of uh, of how uh, of how regulatory environments work, um, really showcasing how um, and I think this probably goes from for industry or other environments as well is is really uh, show, showcasing how. Uh, your skills can can be transferable um and and particularly for the position in in mind uh how how your your skills like your your specialty uh skills uh make a good fit for the role so i think that's you know that that's a really important element of of uh, being competitive
0: excellent and did you did you need to or did you get to practice interviewing with with the, your friends uh you know, because any types of tools and tricks, any type of techniques or, or tactics to help someone, because interviews take, care, you know, take, they take place in this very limited amount of time. I don't know, actually in government, maybe it, it's more complex, but you need to practice, right? How did you take care of, of that aspect of, okay, I, I saw myself I, as an academic. Now I'm going to present myself as the right person for this position
1: yeah definitely there was a process of uh, of rebranding that I had to go through and uh, um, the good thing about government is is that the uh, the the various steps once you've you know once you've made a connection and identified the you know a, 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 an opening uh, government tends to proceed along a very structured pathway and that, that's that's good if you have an insider someone who can uh, who can sort of teach you what uh, what those various steps are because the, they you know, c- compared to, uh, the startup environment or, or, uh, you know, or other environments, government, uh, their, their, uh, their hiring processes, their HR processes tend to be very, um, systematic and, and, uh, follow very predictable procedures, but, uh, but that, you know, the, they are arcane nonetheless. And, uh, and they're not, uh, they're not well known to people outside of the organizations in many cases. So, uh, so I, again, I, I really, um, I relied a great deal on on this one colleague, who uh, you know who, who was quite uh, experienced in regulatory and, and knew a lot of the ins and outs and 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 helped me foresee and and understand uh, the process that I was going through.
0: Excellent. So I imagine anyone out there that's interested should try to reach out maybe to someone who is in such a position and then have coffee with them and try to. You know, to, to to learn the ropes a little bit before before they they go into that process.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that person can also maybe help you to identify, the, you know, what your what your trajectory is. You know, how happy will you be in a in a regulatory environment? I knew for me that it, uh, I wasn't going to retire there, but it was a it was a fantastic experience uh, for me to spend uh, five or six years uh, in that environment and. Um, you know, and and sort of broaden out my skill set, uh, in, increase my um, uh, the breadth of my knowledge. You know, with respect to product life cycles and so on. So it, it, it allowed me to kind of um, develop my knowledge and experience beyond the research phase of drug development, and and become knowledgeable and and experienced in areas of uh, pre market approval. Uh, post-market surveillance and you know and and the the entire entire life cycle of 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 a drug and that's turned out to be um, a really really valuable experience as i've moved on into other phases of my career
0: Mm -hmm. excellent and then we'll definitely talk about them a little bit later but the, the thing that that is super interesting is that you stayed close to to your domain in a way but in a totally different part of the the life cycle like you were saying
1: that, that's it, and I was fortunate to be able to uh, find my way not immediately uh, because uh, regulatory environments aren't always all that agile, but if you're patient, um, you can move laterally uh, through an organization um, uh, relatively easily if you 're dynamic and you 're determined and so uh, I, initially I, I wasn't working in in my in my preferred domain, but I eventually found my way uh, into um, uh, the oncology division at the Therapeutic Products uh, Directorate, where I was able to uh, work in um, in clinical drug review in precision oncology, so that that was a very very rewarding part of the of the career.
0: Excellent. We're now uh, past university. we we're, we're actually talking about your first job outside. But there's still some some things that I'd like to ask you about. You know, either you know grad school, but also postdoc uh, people don't see it, but I see a bicycle behind you. <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk about what your strategies and what your habits during grad school, postdoc were in terms of wellness, in terms of self-care. What elements did you include in your routine daily that, that were not, you know, related to your research, but uh, allowed for you to have a balanced um, personal life that that had the research on one side but then also these these have these um uh, ha- these habits and these uh, experiences that were not related to your research on the other hand
1: yeah i think it's a it's a great question and one that everybody you know needs to needs to be asking themselves that, that, yeah you can't walk too far in this condo without tripping over a bicycle <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i would be i would be uh be challenging for me to show you a view here that doesn't include one uh, that was the first love was uh was uh, racing bicycles uh criterium road uh and uh yeah and followed with uh, you know every other kind of pursuit on two wheels uh but uh, you know that's that's something that i've i've relied uh, relied on my whole my whole life and career as a kind of an outlet um you know a, a cling, cling to sanity kind of thing uh, and And racing in particular, you know is a uh, is a is a way to kind of focus your energies, but uh, uh, you know in an, an alternative way, I guess. and uh, yeah, keep keeps you healthy uh, both physically and mentally, I think, to have uh, a pursuit, uh, you know, an athletic pursuit, especially, but for other people it could be music. but I think it's it's important to find some other passion, you know, a balance work family and and something that's just for you
0: yeah uh i imagine that if you're if you're racing you're competing
1: yeah not not today but certainly uh up until uh, recently yeah
0: so i imagine there's also a community that comes with that right yeah
1: there is and and it's remarkable the number of scientists that you meet uh uh, riding bicycles uh there seems to almost be a bit of a phenotype um, <laughs> but I've, uh, I've, I've run across that <laughs> so many colleagues uh you know both past and present uh, uh seem to uh seem to to have a real passion for uh for bicycles and for racing them and so it's uh yeah it's it's a it's a remarkable opening uh, even to this day uh when uh, when you meet people because uh yeah it, it just you know when you talk to somebody and and they realize you speak that other language. Uh, it's a you know it's it's a it's a great way to kind of uh, to bond with people and find a, uh, to build collaboration, find common cause.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, have you met people that you ended up collaborating with professionally uh, on the on the bike trail?
1: Uh, oh, absolutely! Yes, absolutely.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, while you were in grad school, did you have any other uh, extracurricular activities or groups you were part of? Or activities you developed
1: um, you know bikes were, were were a big part of it
0: yeah if you were racing you probably put a lot of time into it right
1: that, that's it they there they didn't it didn't leave much uh you know afterwards in, in those days but uh, yeah no that was that was really for me a big big passion
0: excellent and uh, I imagine do you still keep friends from back then the from the that arena
1: Uh, some of my best friends today uh, are are the friends that I meet uh, at the trailhead and uh, uh, those are those have been people from WADA uh, those have been people from grad school days Uh, yeah absolutely it's a it's a bond that kind of uh, never never goes away right when you're when you're uh, competing and racing and and enjoying outdoors together it's a this is sort of a special link.
0: This is great. I saw the bike behind you, and, and I had to ask this because I think it's one of the one of the very important things uh, when you when you're in grad school and and when you're you you know going after the, your your PhD and it gets uh, it, it gets challenging at times and uh, you have to work like. X number of days nonstop because you have this experiment uh, that that needs to work well and and be tuned and be uh, tuned etc. Super important to have this this uh, other life where you have another group of people uh, where you can even in your case you know because you're racing you you can kind of also clear your mind during during this activity. For other people it could be meditation, but uh, anyway, again, I just saw the bike there and I thought this is important to talk about
1: yeah i think there's another other element there too you know as as much as i've i've met people in my own professional domain uh on on bicycles uh you know you also obviously meet people who do other things engineers and uh and i've had as many conversations with uh with peers in life sciences as i have with with peers in in other domains and uh, uh you know time on the bicycle is you know so you're often especially on the road many many hours spent together and uh you know you you solve problems talking to people with different experiences and points of view too it gets you away from uh your your professional peer group a little bit sometimes too you know it, it helps you build connections but it also sometimes it helps you to connect with people in other areas professionally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk with uh, with lawyers, as I say, engineers, uh, other people who have an interest in the sport, and uh, I, I believe I've solved problems uh, in that way as well by by having uh, by having discussions in that setting where people are you know are thinking creatively and are doing something that they love and uh, and you know where where the conversation flows very, flows very freely.
0: That's super interesting, and uh, I. I... Yeah, I don't think I know anyone that that really did like a kind of a competition sport. uh, Not during during grad school for sure, and and I'm sure there's there's a lot of you you can you bond with people in a different way, but the fact that you're still meeting people and that that you still have conversations that actually help you or 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 bring solutions to that's super super interesting.
1: It's a lifelong sport, right? Uh, You know, uh, opposed to you know, so there are some other sports that. uh, you know, that don't not don't lend themselves well to uh you know to participation when you're in your uh in your late forties.
0: <laughs> exactly. Excellent. Drew, uh we're gonna take a little break. Uh so we, we've covered the 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 part the you know grad school and uh and and postdoc and your first jump into something else <laughs> which was regulatory. Uh when we come back, we'll talk about what came after, and uh we'll talk also about what skills that come from from a P- your PhD and your postdoc, you still use today. Before going on with the interview, I want to thank you for listening to the show. If you like an episode and feel that it's helped you or inspired you in any way, share it with your friends. Maybe it will inspire them too. Mental health is, is really a, a big issue now. And uh, I think one of the things is that if people do one physical activity regularly, it's it can like it can fix a, a lot of things in their, in their, uh, in their personal, uh, in the, well, mental health is one of them, but physical also just being fit, right? It's, it it helps.
1: For for sure. I, I mean, I, 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 couldn't imagine doing uh, what I do and being sedentary. It's just, uh, it's, uh, and, and in fact, uh, this was, uh, you know, my, my, my days as a as a racing cyclist you know as a especially as a as a junior when i was competing a lot um it actually helped to shape my one of my career interests and 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 open the door for uh my um um my position at wada you know having having had a a background as a you know as as a I won't say elite athlete because I was never that, but having a background as a competitive athlete and having you know and sport being clearly a a value, um, coupled with my my background in pharmacology, uh, opened a door to position at WADA. So you know it was a, a, a combination, obviously, of networking and uh, transferable skills and experience, but uh, but you know. Being obviously committed lifelong to to a sport
0: to one yeah. uh,
1: was was a was a uh, you know a key i think to to um, to competing for that position
0: excellent it's it's funny how things you know that you wouldn't put on your c v per se but then end up having an effect on <laughs> on on being hired or not for a specific position it's crazy
1: yeah yeah every organization has their own kind of cultural dynamic right and uh uh, I think that's one of the key things you have to ascertain uh, early on if you've decided you want a position is uh, uh, you know what's 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 the prevalent attitude in that culture and uh, you know is it is it is it something that you get? Is it something you understand? Is it something that you can appeal to and uh, is the you know ultimately hopefully is it is it authentic?
0: Excellent. For like for some people that I that I've interviewed, it's been they they, they wrote a blog on the, on something like this person she she now gives financial advice to to PhDs in the states because it's particular uh, with all the stipends and the taxes and uh, and she she started that by writing a blog on her experience dealing with that and th- that now became her main her main thing. Uh, uh, but but I've known people like I was uh, like I, uh, when I was in this company doing medical writing, they were hired because oh you you've edited you've been an editor on this uh, e magazine, for sure. Like they they did all the the, the tests that that they do for writing etc. But once she passed those, the fact that she had that experience totally helped her being hired. And uh, I think it, it's funny because the, the this person uh, from personal finance she calls it a. Uh, side hustle.
1: Yeah, What's the advantage? Well, if, if you love something enough when you're doing it right now, but if you love something enough to do it for free, uh, nobody can say that you're not passionate about it. You know, you're willing to put your own time and resources to, to spend your, you know, you choose to do that on weekends or evenings. Uh, it's pretty hard for someone to say that, uh, that you're not invested, right?
0: That's true. That's totally true. All right. So now, so you were in Ottawa for five, six years. And then you decided, okay, I'm going to move on to something else, right?
1: Yeah, at that at that point, my son was uh, getting a little bit older, and uh, you know, regulatory it can it can feel a little bit like running in quicksand, you know, after the uh, the hustle of uh, of postdoc life, and uh, I was really ready to to move on to uh, more of an outward facing role. Um, I was uh, I was especially I was eager to. Uh, understand more about, you know, to expand my my understanding of of, of this whole uh, world of clinical oncology, and uh, you know, in, on the inside and, and regulatory environments. You, except for some expert advisory panels, and uh, you know, a few pre-submission meetings, uh, you don't really get the occasion to uh, engage with clinicians, and certainly not with patients and I think that's changing now, but, uh, certainly in those days, you know, I felt like this, this was what I really wanted to do, um, was, was I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to to be in a more outward facing role and, and, and to, to talk to people and in, in who, who were in clinical practice and, uh, you know, and, and do something that was, that was a, a little bit more, uh, more outward facing, more dynamic. Uh, and at, at that time, actually, uh, this uh, this remarkable role uh, came up, and again, be a a, a friend in uh, in my uh, in my network from graduate school days with a World Anti-Doping Agency. So you know, in some ways, a, a major right turn in a career that had otherwise focused exclusively on oncogenic signaling, and uh, um, you know, and um, disease pathophysiology, and and uh, and, and you know, very 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 much focused on a on a on, uh, on cancer biology. I, uh, I thought let's, let's, let's take a chance. This is a, this is a huge risk, but, uh, uh, it's a fascinating, maybe once in a lifetime opportunity to go work for an international agency. Uh, their, I mean, their raison d'etre was ultimately linked to the sport that I love, which is cycling. Okay. And, uh, and I thought, oh, I've always, you know, I've always valued, uh, I've always valued fair play in sport and this is a great chance for me to um, engage uh, with professionals in the world of sports, specifically uh, uh, professionals in various areas of uh, um, specialty practice. Uh, lend some of my own experience in in molecular pharmacology, and uh, and, and hopefully um, you know, participate in uh, uh, improving fair play in sport.
0: Excellent. So, were you hired? Was it kind of were you kind of because you said you had a contact, were you kind of headhunted, or did you still have to also, you know, show that you were the the right candidate for the position?
1: Yeah, d- definitely, a door was open and a contact made with the director. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, there were there were a hundred or hundred fifty other candidates who, whose CDs were were considered for the role, and uh, yeah, multiple multiple interviews. Uh, I think by that time, though, I you know, I I had really evolved uh, and honed my my skills with interviewing and as, you know, as we talked about earlier, uh, had really, um, uh, really done a lot more reading and, uh, felt at this point, you know, in my, in my early forties, uh, much more on top of my game and much more professional in terms of how I, uh, researched and sought out, uh, um, uh, positions and, uh, yeah, and, and very much actively, uh, used, uh, simulated interviews, uh, and again, had a had a, a mentor, if you will, or a peer who uh, who was so completely on my side, uh, desperately wanted me to have this position, <laughs> almost as if it was for himself. You know. Wow. So we, we we did many mock interviews, uh, and uh, we we both read, and uh, I I uh, I'm I'm always in his debt for uh, for that, for role playing with me and um, working together from information we gathered. Uh, to, um, to to really help me prepare for uh, for that opportunity.
0: Excellent, uh, it's it's interesting and it's super. I'm super happy that you're mentioning role playing and uh, and um, mock interviews because you know I think especially because w- here we're talking. You were you were working for five six years in, in government. You know you you're like you say your child has grown up. You're going into this process. You know already ha- with another mindset uh, and and more more security of your capacities and of your capacity to tell your story and to be compelling. But for people who are just uh, now, you know, finishing their PhD and thinking, now I'm going to go interview in the job market, role-playing and and mock interviewing is key, I would say. Uh, because once you have that... that um, that main story that once you know it by heart and and you can you can do a, almost an elevator pitch on on why you're the best candidate, then you can address the particular interests of the person who's going to be interviewing you, uh, and uh, after having already created a good image of yourself because you've practiced it.
1: Yeah, that that confidence going in is so important, right? Um, if you don't if you don't possess that, if you feel like you're on the limits of your personal comfort you're not going to be fluid. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to smile. You're not going to present yourself in a way that's natural and authentic. So I, you know, I think it's as important, uh, you know, to, to secure the position. Um, you know, you, you have to represent yourself professionally well, but you have to represent yourself well personally as well. Um, and that's, uh, I think that all of those things are tied together by having, uh, that, that confidence that, that, uh, uh, that you know the the organization's mission and values. Uh, you've you've read every document that's publicly available. Uh, you know you you've you've really taken every step you can to educate yourself about the position, and uh, you know even at interviewing candidates myself, uh, I'm still amazed with the proliferation of information uh, that didn't exist. I won't speak for you, but when when I was young in the and sort of finding my way career-wise in a pre-internet world uh, you know it was it was it required a tremendous amount of research but uh, you can sit at home uh, and understand uh, an awful lot about an organization uh, in a morning of browsing uh, so if you haven't if you haven't done that if you don't if you haven't completed your due diligence in that regard uh, then you're
0: not ready mm-hmm. Excellent. Again, great advice. Now, maybe we can fa- fast forward and, and you can kind of tell from, from, uh, from that organization uh, that, that you just mentioned.
1: Uh, world Anti-Doping Agency. World
0: Anti-Doping Agency, yeah. You know, what was your path from there to today?
1: Yeah, so uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency was a, was a fantastic opportunity and a great opportunity to engage uh, with uh, medical professionals in the world of sport. Uh, And uh, you know, I loved I loved every minute of it. International organization, uh, the um, uh, you're engaged with you're as likely to be engaged with someone from Singapore or Finland as you are uh, to be engaged with with someone from Canada. So the the uh, you know the the opportunities to expand professional network uh, geographically as well as in terms of um, understanding how other different. people outside of for me outside of oncology worked um, you know in the, in our area which was focused on therapeutic use exemption uh, you are um, you're, you're working with people who practice in uh, metabolic disease rheumatology orthopedics endocrinology you name it um, so it was a it was a great opportunity and I and uh, and and I loved uh, I loved the experience that it that it brought me in terms of expanding my world outside of of, of oncology uh, but at a certain point again it was sort of the, it was apparent that uh, to me that uh, there was there wasn't anywhere for me to go uh career-wise uh without without moving into into another area so uh so again again uh, through uh through network uh this opportunity uh that i've identified most recently with uh, exactus innovation as their director of med affairs uh opened up and uh this this was again to took me back into my my first uh, and main love in, in precision oncology, uh, in a in a more clinician and patient focused setting,
0: which is what you wanted.
1: It, yeah, in in some ways it was it was sort of what I was you know what I had always been been seeking, um, and uh, easily the most challenging role I've ever held. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, this is a um, a very very exciting uh, opportunity and uh, um, yeah, disruptive and uh, tremendous tremendous opportunity to kind of expand my horizons uh professionally and uh add to my to my experience and knowledge
0: yeah can you can you tell the listeners a little bit of uh, about what you do in your position
1: yeah uh, the organization is composed of a team of uh, clinical and translational research professionals and uh uh, it's a small organization. We're about twenty, with another twenty or so who are embedded uh, in our uh, um, network sites uh, at uh, cancer care centers across Canada. But the uh, the team is uh, 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 basically supports and coordinates the activity of the uh, stakeholders from uh, from those thirteen sites across across Canada, consent solid tumor patients uh, to a comprehensive longitudinal registry. Uh, that's called personalized my therapy so once the uh, patients are consented to that registry then their their clinical and molecular data all the relevant clinical and molecular data are archived in the registry and they are then um, uh, candidates uh, for uh, consent to uh, to clinical trials Um, they're well the, the organization part of the organization's role then is is to uh, we work with an overlapping network of hospital laboratories, and uh, so either at the time of consent or at a point in the disease trajectory where a patient's eligible for a trial, biopsy tissue or resected tissue uh, can be genetically profiled using a validated next gen sequencing platform that's run in these laboratories. So the so the a somatic mutation profile can be generated for those patients, and then. Uh, they can be potentially matched uh, to trials that are running in the network.
0: Wow, oh, excellent. So it really looks like all these things that you've done, you know, from your postdoc to today, you make use of them in your current job.
1: It's uh, it's funny how uh, how our uh, the twists and turns uh, of our uh, career paths uh, so often you know take us to uh, to these to these kinds of roles where where there's a kind of convergence. Yeah, I I, I do see that in the you know the medical affairs uh, part of the work that I did in uh, uh, sort of as the you know expert group ringleader and coordinator at WADA, uh, you know the um, the clinical drug review activities and and that that sort of. um, um, you know, product life cycle overview part of of working in regulatory, and then uh, you know the clinical research activities uh, that uh, that I was engaged in uh, in in Houston at uh, at Baylor, you know all three of those components i I call on, you know, the experience and knowledge from uh, from all those different earlier phases of my career.
0: that's that's excellent. And so one thing I'd like you to to try and and tell the listeners is, because coming out of, of the PhD, one of the things people may feel is, if I don't stay uh, in academia, I ha- I will have wasted this time. And I'm pretty sure that if I ask you, are are there skills, are, are there um, uh, abilities, are there uh, habits that you gained in grad school and 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 in and in your postdoc that you're still use today that translate to today.
1: I, I think it's an unequivocal. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, you know, I, I would say that, you know, this is the most challenging role I've ever had. Uh, but postdoctoral work is just, it's the most, uh, physically and emotionally challenging, uh, I think environment. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's where most people really find themselves, uh, the most explicitly tested, you know, it's, it's, it's a real walk of faith, uh, to, uh, To to do that, so I I say that's that's one thing is that that you really learn to trust and rely on yourself, uh, and uh, you know you without question that's where that's where you develop your your strongest uh, work ethic and and determination. I would say in terms of other transferable skills that maybe don't necessarily relate to a specific area of research, but uh, for me, taking every opportunity to collaborate and never leaving value on the table. Those would be two lessons I take away from my research experience that I use daily. And it's extremely relevant to medical affairs and and especially in in an environment where you're in a startup, where you're, you're trying to look for opportunities for partnership and where you have to be really relentless in where you look for opportunities and never give up. So, you know, I think my PhD mentor was valuable in that sense and in, in saying, you know, never let good work sit on the bench. There's always an opportunity to see work through and be that closer. And I think that's what's incredibly valuable to any organization is, is someone who's able to start something and finish it. The pressure of publishing, I think, naturally obliges academics to develop that skill set and and that that's what i've I find is has been uh, the thing I think that i that I have brought to professional positions outside of academia that that people have found valuable
0: mhm i and I agree with you this this is something that that is valuable to any employer, I'd say, and especially any employer that is looking to hire you for a position of responsibility the The point that that I think uh, you're touching and that's very important is once you you come out either with your PhD or or, or of a postdoc, you're a highly qualified and, and let's not talk about specialized because you specialize in something that maybe is not going to interest the the employer. But tell me if you agree. But highly qualified uh, worker uh, and y- you have tools that that make you um, fit to to work in in highly stressful work environments and deal with it uh, uh, with with a certain ease, but also you're not afraid to take on long-winded projects and make sure that that you hit your your deadlines and that you uh, that you deliver good work at at the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know that that capacity to uh, to calculate and and to to actually take risks is uh, you know is, is a skill that that uh, every every good academic researcher uh, develops uh, almost to the point of intuition, right? And, and I, I do think that that's amongst many many of the skills that, that you develop in, uh, uh, in in research setting. That uh, self reliance, uh, that confidence uh, that uh, that you inevitably have to develop in uh, in your own hypothesis, in the quality of your own work uh you you know you're really the captain of your own ship uh, and uh i don't think we give ourselves enough credit for it you know when you go out into professional environments uh you see that you in, in some in some of those regards you know uh, uh autonomy self-sufficiency uh, um, professional engagement um, you know all all of these things i think help phd's stand above uh their competitors
0: yeah one thing that what you just said made me think about is that, uh, and I think this didn't happen with you because you got a government job in which salary is probably, there's probably standards of, you know, you got into this position, which had a set salary for it. But one of the things that, uh, people coming out, let's say of a PhD may deal with is doubt about the, the value of their time and how much, uh, you know, how much they can expect to earn in their, in their first job coming out of the PhD. um, So uh, this is another aspect, you know, people may not value or may not give themselves enough credit in terms of uh, what abilities they come out with, but they can even underestimate how much they they can be worth to a potential employer. And I imagine some universities may already have workshops or uh, systems to help people do do this transition. I remember I didn't. And when, when I was asked, how much do you want to earn? I really didn't know. <laughs> no,
1: I, I, I don't think uh, you know. It's one of the many professional um, uh, skills that that uh, that we don't acquire in in those settings, right? Is is valuing yourself, uh, and uh, I I know I undersold myself uh, in the early part of my career um, because you become quite naturally conditioned to a subsistence lifestyle. Uh, yeah, I I would I would certainly. You know, to anybody who's who's looking to kind of um, land that first job o- outside of, a, of an academic setting, um, you know, def- definitely that's a that's a key area of research. Is, is you know, re- as hard as it can be, sometimes uh, investigate what are uh, what are reasonable salary expectations.
0: Mm-hmm. There's online uh, resources now. There's uh, uh, things like Glassdoor mm-hmm. is one of them. It's a website. Where you can you can kind of get an idea an x-ray uh, so to say also uh, one thing that that I that uh, I, I think is a good way to go is if you if you're able if you're looking at an organization where you want to work uh, and you're able to get in touch with someone who works there or who has worked there uh, go and have coffee with that person and then they'll be happy to help you and to, to, uh, to answer your questions
1: I, I can count on one hand the, the number of people that I have you know uh, sent a thoughtful intelligent respectful email to and they didn't respond to me you know when it's an, an authentic sincere request for help or advice I, and I, I think that's you know that, that's something that everybody needs to leverage more I wish I had done it when I when I was younger you know
0: yeah same here
1: <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's such a valuable tool and it's and and people just don't don't use it enough and uh yeah you can have insight into an organization well beyond you know the the cursory uh, social media website scan right uh, it's, it's so often the case that uh, you know there, there's somebody who's more than happy as you say to, to to grab a coffee and uh and to give you the inside scoop
0: Excellent. Uh, Drew, uh, I'm almost getting to my final question, but I just wanted to note something and and tell me if I heard right. But one of the things that I find really interesting uh, about your whole path is that your network and especially the network that you that you had or that grew out of your grad school echoed throughout uh, the different pivots that you did uh, professionally. Can you comment on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, I honestly can't think of um, an opportunity that I took uh, or a position I held that I didn't in some way owe to uh, someone uh, in, my, in my network, personal or professional. Um, and and uh, yeah, the, the, the friendships that you build in graduate school days, I think are the ones, well, at least for me personally, the ones that, that still resonate most strongly. Uh and uh and those are you know, yeah, I I I said I, I I really I have to trace every opportunity, even some of the ones that we didn't speak about, you know, uh, uh uh some uh part-time teaching, uh a period in my life when I was consulting. Uh all of those have uh in my case anyways have sprung from uh strong relationships uh and strong interpersonal relationships with people. And uh, you know, I think um, engaging with people in a way that is, um, respectful, uh, where you demonstrate that you have a high level of integrity, uh, and that you're, you know, are interested in, um, giving as much as receiving help and advice can and stress enough, you know, how important it is, uh, you know, in order to, uh, you know, to, to help, uh, push your, propel your career along.
0: Mm-hmm. so this is another uh, advantage of taking part in in student life when you're in grad school for sure
1: yeah 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 i think so take every opportunity go to go to every seminar um i, I think one, one really good point of advice i had uh, again i wish i had, had done more of it earlier on was uh, somehow find a way to devote an appropriate amount of time every week whether it's two hours or four hours or whatever you can spare uh to yourself and and you know when I say yourself it's to you know your own whether whether it's uh you know uh investigating alternative paths uh going going to see something that uh, a seminar that's not explicitly related to your work uh keeping in touch with professional colleagues in different fields um, Scanning the horizon in whatever way, uh, but it, you know, I, I think it's, it's really really good advice. Um, it's, uh commit uh, a portion of your time to you and your own personal and professional development because it's so easy, you know, when you're working uh, in a you know in a demanding job, whether it's postdoc or whether you're at the, at a director or VP level, you can easily have your ambitions consumed by the organization you work for.
0: That's that's super, super uh, important advice. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I can't agree more. But uh, so now, Drew, I, I'm going to ask my last question. And uh, I don't know how old your son is, but I, I'd like you to think of, you know, students, either people who are in grad school or considering grad school or who are just uh, finishing or who have just graduated, um, and to think, uh, you know, maybe Put yourself in, in in their shoes today, uh, because times have changed, right? But thinking, you know, considering your experience, your path, uh, uh, and uh, you know all all that you've learned uh, uh, ever since you you finished your PhD, um, what two or three pieces of advice can you give them to to help them prepare their transition? You've talked already about taking two hours a, a week to look into the horizon i think that's very very important but do you have a couple more of pieces of advice for them to to be successful in their transition be it into their academic career but also in their into their non-academic career if that's the path they're following
1: yeah i would i would say you know following up on on what we what we discussed earlier i you know i think uh, be absolutely fearless in uh, in your information gathering um, don't don't settle, uh, you know. Regardless of where you are, whether you you know, my son's 15, and I'm encouraging him to do this. Uh, in fact, we're we're joining uh, uh, a couple uh, this weekend uh, so that he can find out uh, what what it's like to be uh, an an electrical engineer. So you know, I, I would say you know, be be fearless and be uh, and be determined in, uh, in in chatting with people and seeking out. Opportunities for mentorship, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, knowledge gathering uh, as early and as often as time permits. Uh, and I, you know, I've always, I always found people so, so happy and eager to help. I think as scientists, especially, you know, if coming back to my own personal uh, or our personal sort of domain, uh, you know, because we're we're a bit. Uh, you know we're always held to account and and we're never far away from uh, from from some episode of failure, right and uh, <laughs> yeah uh, as researchers uh, we we have a kind of a, a humility uh, that makes us want to help people, but I found it in other domains too so uh, yeah i would I would say le- leverage uh, you know every every opportunity possible and and don't just uh, decide uh, that uh, you're you're going to settle on on one narrow area of. Uh, Of study or research or career path uh, you know I think uh, you don't know what you don't know and Mm -hmm. I uh, I, I would have uh, I would have maybe cast a wider net you know uh, earlier on in my career uh, just just to have a a better context so that you know you don't get to where I was um, you know several years into a postdoctoral fellowship and then and only then contemplating what What other things could I do with this uh, with this training and education?
0: Excellent, Drew. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for for having been on the show. Um, What do you have some links that you'd like to share with with uh, the listeners if they either want to reach out to you or uh, to your organization to to uh, you know to learn about what. what do you do?
1: It, absolutely, I'd be, uh, I'd be very pleased to, uh, if anyone's interested in, uh, in the initiative and what we're trying to accomplish, uh, it's uh, uh, easy to remember. It's uh, exactis, E-X-A-C-T-I-S dot C-A, exactis uh, You can learn a little bit about our, uh, our initiative and, uh, and what we're trying to accomplish uh, further, uh, um, our, our mission to improve access to precision oncology uh, clinical trials for Canadian cancer patients. Yeah, that's 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 the main thing. Would for people to learn a bit more a bit about the initiative, and uh, um, and uh, I would encourage anyone to get in touch with me if uh, if they'd like to uh, to know
0: more. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going to put the the website link and your LinkedIn uh, on on the show notes. So I guess anyone uh, listening can can reach out to Drew that way.
1: Thank you very much, David.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure. Pleasure was mine. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to PapaPhD.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non academics I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.